Acts chapter 2 this morning. One other thing that I want to add to Kathy's uh, presentation is, uh, you know, we're, we're, we think we've got this figured out. We, we've, we've got a good plan, I think, in place for trying to evacuate the building for any reason that we would need to do that. Uh, and we just we want to practice and make sure that uh, we're on top of that. But if as we go through this you see things and have suggestions, please don't, don't hesitate to make those suggestions. We might ignore you completely. We might also take them to heart. Uh, we want to do this in a way that is helpful to everybody. So uh, help us with that as well. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. Because every one heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all of these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men-servants and on my maid-servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by him. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This 
Jesus, God, has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful, marvelous passage. Thank you for this day when we commemorate what happened on, uh, in this very, in this very uh, passage. So uh, speak to us today. I pray, Lord, for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see it discussed here, described here. May it be true in thee. I pray there'd be nothing to hinder. I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, use me. Uh, clear my mind today, I pray. Help me to speak with power and clarity and uh, accuracy uh, according to your word. And I pray, Lord, we would all be filled with the Spirit to hear, to receive. And I pray, Father, that just as the, the word of God went forth under the power of the Holy Spirit in this passage and it affected and changed the lives of so many, may it affect and change the lives of all of us in this room today as well. Speak to us. Be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning's sermon resulted from a confluence of a couple of different events. This past week, I attended the Basics Conference at Parkside Church in Aurora. And uh, that's always a wonderful time. I'm always refreshed by that. And, uh, there's a lot of uh, things we've already talked about here this morning, things like eating that takes place there. And uh, at one of the spectacular meal times, I was sitting around the table with a group of other pastors, one of whom was Pastor Rich Hall from the Atwater Congregational Church uh, in Atwater. And I mean, just, you know, like pastors do, he says, uh, so, what are you guys doing on Sunday, this coming Sunday? And I thought we were going to have a fire drill. And so I said, well, I think we're going to have a fire drill. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's interesting. Do you know what this Sunday is? And I confess that I had not really paid much attention to what this Sunday was. I, I don't really, I don't know that we've ever really talked about Pentecost Sunday on Pentecost Sunday when it occurs. But this is indeed what is uh, in the church calendar, Pentecost Sunday, the 50th day after Easter, uh, the day that we commemorate this very event that took place in Acts chapter 2. And it was interesting. He thought it was amusing that we were going to have a fire drill on the very day that fire was poured out on the church in Acts chapter 2. And so I got to thinking about that, and I thought, well, you know what? Maybe the Lord's leading, and maybe we ought to talk about Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday. And so that's what we're going to do. Just a little bit today. We want to talk about the day when there was fire in the church for the very first time. Because there's some pretty interesting and exciting and wonderful things that took place on that day and have import to us. So let's think of a few of those. First of all, let's notice that when the fire was in the church, they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Baptized 
in the Holy Ghost. You know, all kinds of songs come to mind when I think about that. One would be uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither's song, There's a Sweet, Sweet Spirit in This Place. And I know that it's the Spirit of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly dove, stay right here with us, filling us with your love. The Holy Spirit of God. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We could also just as easily sing Happy Birthday on this day. Happy Birthday! Happy birthday to you, because the fact is, this is the birthday of the church. The church was birthed into existence on Pentecost Sunday, when that Holy Spirit was poured out on that first little group of believers. It marks the official official birthday of the church of Jesus Christ. This marvelous and wonderful thing called the church, it hadn't existed in the Old Testament. It was something yet future at that time. Christ had alluded to its the future aspect of it, uh, when he said, I will build my church at Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and yet it was on the day when the fire fell on that little group of believers that it was the birthday of the church. And on that birthday, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I know we've talked about this several times in the past, but it's always good, and some, some may yet have questions about this. So let's talk about the baptism of the Holy Ghost for just a minute, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because it has a very specific meaning in the Bible. Several, several things, things I would say about it. First of all, I would say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a historical event. You cannot talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in any other way. It was a historical event that took place right here. We just read it at, at Pentecost in that upper room when the fire fell in the church. Every other reference in the Bible that uses those words, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, every other one is looking at that event, either forward to that event or back to that event, a historical event. John the Baptist spoke about it, and he knew it would come when fire would fall on the church, and he had mentioned it as being future. Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11, he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so he talked about it as, a, as an event that was yet in the future. Jesus also knew the day would come when fire would fall on the church. He spoke about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and he also mentioned it as being future, but he mentioned it as being in the very near future. You can look back just one page to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 5, and you'll see it was right uh, before this, just days before this. He said, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so it was yet future, but it was very, very close. And then, of course, we come to Acts chapter 2. And that event is the baptism of the Holy Ghost when the Holy Ghost was poured out on the church. And if we, if we look from this point on in our Bibles, there's only another reference or two that even mentions the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But uh, every other one is a reference back to this as a past event that took place here on Pentecost. And it's something which we take part in at the moment of our salvation past event, which we take part in at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So you and I are baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation. The result of that event at Pentecost was that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer and comes to indwell us at the moment of salvation, takes up residence within us. And uh, notice that in verses 38 and 39, one of the reasons I read so much Scripture is I wanted to get to those verses. In verses 38 and 39, Peter plainly said that this event was promised to any who would believe. So that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's an interesting thing. 
But don't you wonder what it was like? Don't you wonder what that day was? I mean, if this was Pentecost Sunday, we, we kind of want to transport ourselves back in our minds uh, to that day and to that room. And what did it look like? What really took place on this momentous birthday of the church? Well, we, we're told a few things. We're told there was wind. Verse number 2. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Actually, we're not told there was wind. We're told there was the sound of wind. It was loud. The Greek indicates that it was a roaring sound that filled the house. I don't know about you, but I don't like wind. When I sit in my house and I hear wind flapping around outside and I have trees all around my house, I don't like the sound of wind. But here, that's what they heard, roaring wind. One commentator said, uh, uh, he had he had some interesting thoughts on how do the people in this room, the symbolism of wind, would unmistakably be associated with God's Spirit. He said that even the Greek, the, the, the words, the Hebrew word for wind, which is ruah, and the Greek word for wind, which is pneuma, when pronounced, had a sound like breath or wind. And so they hear, they hear a sound of wind. And even the sound of the words that they would use to describe the event said, the breath of God breath of God. And so it would have been to those people a symbolic thing that would have said the Spirit of God is coming, the very breath of God. There was the sound of wind. There was also fire. Did I mention we were supposed to have a fire drill this morning? Yeah. There was also fire. Verse number three, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. Actually, there was no fire. We can't, we can't be dogmatic that there was fire. What the Bible says is that there was uh, a phenomenon as of fire, something like it. It doesn't specifically say it was fire. It must have looked like, it must have behaved like fire. The word tongue there is not a reference to the organ of speech in our mouths, but rather to this phenomenon that was flame-like and in the shape of a tongue. And we often talk about fire that way even today, don't we? Uh, that's what it was. In this case, such a tongue-like shape of something like fire appeared and rested on each believer in that room. And so again, just as the sound of wind would have indicated to people that this was the Spirit of God coming, this fire or fire-like phenomenon would have indicated to people that this was the Spirit of God. In this case, it would have been a direct fulfillment of a prophecy that they knew. They had, they had, many of them at least had heard John the Baptist say, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It would have been unmistakable to them that this was a fulfillment of that prophecy, and this was indeed the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God that had been prophesied. It's interesting that these two manifestations, the wind and the fire, the sound of wind, the appearance of fire, uh, in those we see that the Holy Spirit was poured out both on the church as a whole, but also on the individual members of the church uh, as individuals. Uh, if you think about that, the wind filling the entire room symbolized that corporate aspect. That the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church corporately, but the tongues as a fire resting on each individual indicated it was also an individual phenomenon. The Holy Spirit was poured out on each individual. So when the fire was in the church, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's not all that happened. That's not all that happened. When the fire was in the church, they were also filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Verse number 4 says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I can imagine some of you right now are saying, Wait a minute now. 
Are you just trying to fill time now? Aren't you? Is this the exact same thing? What's the difference between being filled with the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Aren't they the same thing? And the answer is no, they're not. Not even remotely the same thing. They're completely different things. In our Bible, the word filling has a very specific meaning, at least when it's used in this context, and that meaning is control. Control. I have used an example before from Acts chapter 19, and and you probably have heard me use it, but I really think it explains this a little bit. Acts chapter 19 and verse 29, we see the the same word is used. It says the whole city was filled, same word, with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. The whole city was filled with confusion. In other words, it was under the control of a state of confusion, uh, under the influence of confusion. Confusion was in control. Paul gave us another passage which helps us. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He contrasted there this matter of being filled with the Spirit with the matter of being under the influence of alcohol, of being drunk, of being intoxicated. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means to be totally controlled by, to be under the influence of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit had come then poured out in direct fulfillment of prophecy. The church now existed, and those in that room were now fully under his control and power. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost, and as a result of that event, they could be completely controlled by and under the influence of the Holy Ghost. So when the fire was in the church, they were baptized, and they were filled with the Spirit. Something else accompanied that event, though, which if I don't mention it, you'll all think I'm chicken and I'm avoiding it, so I'll go ahead and mention it. Something else happened. When the fire was in the church, they spoke in tongues. They spoke in tongues. Verse number 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so we have to ask, what in the world does that mean? What does that mean? And they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, I think what happened is really quite simple. The Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in other known languages so that they could proclaim the message of the risen Christ to all the Jews who were in the area. It was the Feast of Pentecost. There were many of them there from many places. Verses 6 through 11 make it clear that these were not some otherworldly ecstatic utterances. They were simply known languages. There's not a single place in here that you can find anything other than a known language being spoken that somebody present spoke. And so it was things that other people knew. That word tongues there is a translation of the Greek word glossa, which does mean tongue and by implication a language, a known language. People's response was amazement and perplexity, according to verse number 12, because they were hearing the gospel preached in their own language, according to verse number 11. And they knew these men didn't have the knowledge of those languages. And so that's why they were so amazed. Notice what the languages were used for. They were used to point people to Jesus, to preach the gospel, to witness to the reality of the resurrection, to lead others to Christ. Now, this is the first reference in our Bibles to this matter of speaking in tongues. And you've heard me mention before that there's a principle of hermeneutics or a principle of biblical interpretation called the first mention principle or the first reference principle. And basically put it, it is this, that the first time God mentions something about a subject, he tells us his mind on it. 
It will go on perhaps later and be explained more fully or more, more in depth in other areas of Scripture. But that first reference is important. That first reference, God drives a stake in the ground and says, this is what I mean about this. And here's the first reference to speaking in tongues. It wasn't anything otherworldly. It wasn't anything ecstatic. It wasn't anything strange in any way. It was God gave them the ability to speak in known languages to people who were there who could hear uh, and know the gospel of Christ. And now I know there's a lot of confusion about that today, and I know that as a non-denominational church, we draw from all kinds of things. Some of you may have a background where you have attended churches where people spoke in tongues, and that is the case in some churches today. And they base that practice on what is here. I, I think they're incorrectly interpreting it, but they base it on what is here in Acts chapter 2. They base it on what we read about in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 12 through 14. However, I believe from, from the study of Scripture that uh, that gift of tongues that is practiced in most charismatic or Pentecostal or apostolic or other churches today, it's just simply not what happened here at Pentecost. It's not something we practice here or ever will as long as I'm here. See, our study of the New Testament leads us to conclude that tongues are not a gift that God is pouring out today. And I don't want to go too far into this because it's a topic for another day. It takes too much time to explain. But if you want to study that on your own, look at those passages. Look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, those three chapters. And if you do that, you'll find it's one of the sign gifts that had a very specific purpose in the very beginning, authenticating the ministry of the apostles before the word was completed. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 even refers to it as a sign of an apostle. And you'll also see that it had a temporary lifespan corresponding with and ending with the ministry of those same apostles, and that's 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Tongues shall cease. And we can talk about that more if you have more questions about that, but that's basically what we think it means. So when the fire fell on the church, they were baptized in the Holy Ghost, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they spoke in tongues. Is that all that happened on that day when the fire fell? No, one other very important thing happened. When the fire was in the church, they told everybody about Jesus. They told everybody about Jesus. It is interesting to me that most of us, when we read this text, the thing that jumps out at us is the speaking in tongues. That phenomenon as being, we, we, we tend to think of that as the major result of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but I don't think it was. I would suggest that the speaking in tongues was completely incidental. The thing that really happened and that really resulted, the main result of the baptism in the Holy Ghost was people heard about Jesus and people got saved. That was the main thing. The gift of languages was simply the mechanism by which they heard the gospel. That was the main thing. Notice what was proclaimed through the influence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to contract Peter's sermon down here into just a couple sentences. He said, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible he should be held by it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Be saved from this perverse generation. What a message. Did you really listen to the message as I read it in its entirety the first time? And then as I summarize it, right, what a message. And how fearlessly it was proclaimed by this one who had so recently cowered in fear. This one who had so recently denied that he even knew the one he now called Lord 
in Christ. You see, when the fire fell in the church, it was the beginning of the fulfillment of, God, of Jesus' own words in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8 when he said, You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Peter had received power when that Holy Ghost was poured out upon him, and he now witnessed in that power. It wasn't about the languages. It wasn't about the tongues. It was about the message. Jesus saves, and Jesus will save you. One man put it like this, whenever Christians were filled with the Holy Spirit, they immediately began to testify forcefully and effectively to Jesus Christ. It's not that they spoke in tongues, though this did occur at Pentecost and possibly elsewhere. It's not that they did miracles, though occasionally miracles were performed. No, when the Holy Spirit came upon his people in a special way, filling them, they immediately began to testify verbally about Jesus. So what does this mean to you and me? How might we apply this text today, some 2,000 years later in Randolph, Ohio? Well, I want to suggest two possible applications, and there's plenty more that I'm sure would come to mind, but just a couple that jumped out at me. I think we ought to apply this by letting it remind us how much Christ loved and loves his church. We talked about this in FBC 101 a little bit this morning, too. Paul told the believers at Ephesus, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, there's a word in that, in that verse for husbands, no doubt. But look what it says about Jesus. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, from that very first Pentecost, when the fire fell for the very first time, up until today, the church has always had its detractors. It's always had those who minimize its relevance in their lives and in the world. And the church has even had those who inexplicably hate it, down from the very beginning. The writer of Hebrews wrote, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's always been the manner of some to consider the church of lesser importance than other aspects of life and to minimize it, to relegate it to some distant corner of life only to be yanked down off the shelf whenever they feel nostalgic. It's always been the manner of some to consider the church ancient history facing defeat and annihilation. And we're reading a lot of news articles like that today, aren't we? But Jesus loved and loves his church so much that he promised he would not leave it comfortless, but would provide the Holy Spirit. He said in John chapter 14, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And so as we think about the implications of Pentecost, I can't help but think about that. As we consider the day when the fire fell on the church, we need to see it as a reminder of how much Jesus loved the church and poured out that Holy Spirit on his church. Do you love his church? Do you love it? Jesus loved the church. There's another, there's another uh, application we might make, and with this all close. <laughs> I think we ought to let this remind us of something else. We ought to let it remind us of the source of our power. The source of our power. You know, as I read and reread this passage this week, I started hearing a song snippet play in my mind. You ever have that happen? It's in your mind and you can't get it out. And this one's in there. It's the Energizer Bunny commercial. 
where this, this song, I don't know who this is, is Donna Summers or somebody sounding voice that comes in and says, I've got the power. I, 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 I've hit hearing that in my brain. I can't get it out. But think about it. Shouldn't this remind us that we've got the power? That was the promise regarding the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. That is the reality. Look at Peter here. Look at Peter here. Peter, who just a few weeks prior to this had cowered in fear and was chicken to admit that he knew Jesus to a little girl. And now he stands up in front of this massive crowd of people. And preaches the gospel absolutely unafraid. And it was not from a pink bunny. It was from the indwelling Holy Spirit of God that had just been poured out in his life. And you and I have that same power. You and I who name the name of Jesus have that same indwelling Holy Spirit. We can tell others about Jesus with the same power and the same effect. Whether we think we're eloquent or not, we can do it and we can watch and wonder. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. We can concentrate on throwing the seed and leave the results to Him. We don't need to worry about the soil in which it lands. The Holy Spirit of God takes over, energizes our efforts, and makes them effective. We've got the power. So don't fear to tell somebody about Christ. Don't fear to share. Don't let Satan convince you, and believe me, he will try, that you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know enough to share the gospel. You just need to be quiet. Leave that to somebody else. He's going to try to tell you that there's something that will stop you. Don't let him do that. Fling the seed. Hang out. Hand out those gospel tracts. Invite your family and friends to church. Tell them how you got saved. And don't worry whether you seem to be getting through or not because the power is not your own. The power is in the Holy Ghost that is in you. And Christian, you have just as much of it as Peter did and as anybody else in that room did on that day when the fire first fell. On Pentecost. Well, let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Father, that we can look back some couple thousand years to an amazing event. An amazing event that took place when the day of Pentecost was fully come. I pray, Father, we think it through. I pray, Lord, we realize its implications to us today. I pray, first of all, Lord, that there, that there are those here today who have never trusted Christ. They realize this is just another, another aspect of things that they're missing out on. They don't have the power. They don't have the indwelling Spirit of God because they've not trusted Christ. The lost have none of this and can understand none of this. And, Lord, if there's even one here today who finds themselves in that state, Lord, may they desire it. I pray that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of them right now. And uh, convince them that they need to, uh, just as Peter said, repent. And, uh, Lord, they need to trust Christ. They need to be saved this day. Lord, is there even one like that here today? If there's even one, I pray, you'd work in their heart right now. Point it out to them. Tell them, this is you. And you can be saved if you but believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you but call upon the name of the Lord. Father, if there's even one, saved today, we pray. I pray as we sing. Uh, if they have questions and they want to talk, they want to pray, they'd step out, come to the front and let us take the Bible and show them how they can know. So, Lord, I pray that's be one of the ways we apply this today. And I pray, Lord, also that we as Christians would just rejoice 
Maybe some of us are down and discouraged and feel like things aren't being accomplished in our walk with Christ as they ought to be. May we be reminded once again and afresh today that we have the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that it was poured out upon us. And may we, if nothing else today, just laugh and rejoice and say, Thank you, Jesus, for that which you have done uh, in pouring out the fire on on the church and on us. So, Father, whatever the needs might be of your people, and there may be other things as well that people want to pray about, uh, I pray, Lord, as we close our service with a song, that, Lord, you help us to respond however you'd have us to. Whether we respond right where we stand or whether we respond by coming to the front and kneeling and praying, I pray you would guide us in whatever it is you lead us to do, help us to do it, and uh, just respond to your word. Thank you, Father, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.